Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. Welcome back to Weapon of Choice Podcast. This is Tommy here. How's everybody doing out there? Um, we got a really exciting episode today. It's the official launch of The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Junata Petrus Nassau. Hardcover, young adult, debut novel by Janata, the one and only. That's today's interview. Uh, book is out September 17th. Go get it. Go get a lot of them. Go get a lot of copies and read it and spread the word. This is gonna. Uh, this book is fire. This book is gonna spread fire of love, black excellence, black magic, queerness. And definitely healing and so we're gonna get into that real quick we're gonna get into that interview we sat down in uh, the south side of Minneapolis of course and had a great conversation uh, just you know a few things that we always got to go through is where you can find us on all social media platforms on Instagram you can find us at weapon of choice podcast on Facebook it's at Weapon of Choice Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Weapon Choice Pod. You can download us. Please, please, please download us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, you know, uh, subscribe. And if you're a listener, and if you love what you're hearing, if you've always loved what you've been hearing, um, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Give us that five-star rating and a review to help us get seen, uh, help us grow just by that. So rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, and we really appreciate that. We appreciate everyone who is tuning in across the world, all these countries, can't believe it sometimes, and I, we just want to keep growing and uh, making sure that people have, people know about these conversations. We're in season three now, but... Um, our two-year anniversary of when we launched, um, debuted the entire podcast, just passed um, on Friday, and we are so thankful and grateful that uh, folks are uh, glad we're around and supporting the show and listening, and uh, just keep spreading the word, all that love. We definitely appreciate that we're going to keep going. Uh, we've got more including this one. Uh, we've got more great episodes to come, more great bonus episodes. There's a special one I think I think we're going to um, put out pretty soon here, a special bonus episode. And then a couple a couple of really special bonus episodes if we can just finish, <laughs> we can just get these things uh, locked in. Um, but we're doing all right. Special Menu Productions, you know, we're trying to make a lot. We're trying to make more podcasts. We're trying to um finish up uh, another short film and we start shooting another short film in october um actually people want me to say so i'll just say um i didn't want to say it on this podcast but 
we are making our uh, third short film and it's called white tears and there's a little thing i like to say happening it's always been happening and especially to black women but it's you know it's gotten to the point where we can call it an epidemic the white tears epidemic is a is is upon us it's here and um we're making a short film called white tears it's going to be great it's based on a true story it's definitely going to resonate with uh, a lot of people um but folks the reason uh the biggest reason this movie is getting made in October is community and people have chipped in and donated to the GoFundMe for this short film. So if you just Google white tears, two words, and then GoFundMe, if you just Google white tears, GoFundMe, there's the fundraiser where uh, over 70 people now have donated any dollar amount that they could. Um, and if you want to get down and support an amazing film that's about to happen here in Minneapolis and one that we think is going to uh, uh, really start more conversations uh, for the world and provide some of that, um, some of that thought provoking stuff, definitely some entertainment and definitely some fantasy. Uh, you know, you can go to the GoFundMe page, uh, help make white tears, a short film for the culture. So just Google White Tears short film, Google White Tears GoFundMe, Google Tommy Franklin White Tears, and you'll see the fundraiser. And if you can give 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, $250 or more makes you an executive producer. We're going to get this thing made. We obviously need to cover, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this on a micro budget as is. Um, but these movies, man, they cost so much money to make, even um, even independently. Um, and it's it's a challenge always. We're up for the challenge. We're going to make this shit. We're going to do it the right way. We're going to do it for the people. But uh, if you want to donate, hit up that White Tears GoFundMe and uh, give what you can if you feel like it. We appreciate that. Junata Petrus Nassau. She does so much. She's a writer. She's a filmmaker, performance artist. Pleasure activist, playwright, multidimensional in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of genres, comes from black Caribbean descent. She's born on Dakota land. She's a South Sider of Minneapolis, and her work centers around wildness, queerness, black diasporic futurism, ancestral healing, sweetness, of course, shimmer and liberation. And uh, we are so um, happy to bring this interview to you. Um, other things you can check out from Janata. There's going to be uh, a fully realized experimental and poetic web series about black teens coming of age in Minneapolis called Sweetness of Wild with uh, filmmaker Michael Fisher. That's something to really, really look out for. It's it's amazing. And Janata is also the co-founder with Aaron Sharkey, shout out Aaron, of Free Black Dirt. If you don't know about Free Black Dirt, an experimental arts production company, you got to check that out. Shout out to all the dope people in Minneapolis and beyond who uh, are part of this beautiful arts community, doing amazing work, doing uh, making some amazing change for the current state 
of the world and, and also future generations. Future generations are um, going to be so blessed with the work of people like Janata and Aaron and Adrian and uh, and Alexis Pauline Gums and so many more and everyone you've heard on this podcast. So let's get into Janata's interview. I really hope you enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy it. So listen all the way through and uh, let me know what you think around the way. I am Janata Petrus Nassau. I am a cosmic bag lady. I'm a runaway witch. I'm an author. I'm a reparationist, a pleasure activist. I am the co-founder with Aaron Sharkey of Free Black Dirt, an experimental arts production collaborative. Yeah, collective, uh, collective. Yeah, thanks for joining us on Weapon of Choice, Janata. It's a good time. It's a good time to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, the fun one we always jump off with is, you know, what what is your weapon or weapons of choice, and what battles are you fighting these days mm -hmm. through your art? Ooh, my weapon of choice is sweetness. Um, <laughs> I think that. Yeah, um, and wildness, sweetness and wildness are my weapons of choice. It comes through in most things that I feel in alignment with, places that I feel safe. They're sweet and wild places. And um, I think that as an artist, I have done everything from circus arts to um, playwriting, filmmaking, uh, I love um, making food for people. I love listening to people. I love getting people to be playful and to um, kind of break out of the ways that we've been conformed to perform um, that is fake, that isn't authentic to ourselves. And I think that um, I really look up to young people and children, and I really look up to elders, and I appreciate the wisdoms of those places in life, and I really allow it to inform kind of my balance mm -hmm. as far as like, am I navigating things in a way that has, I don't know, just like connection to cosmic um, care for humanity. Um, so yeah, I think um, my favorite weapon of choice is maybe between two things, um, is I love to write and I love to dance, but I certainly feel like I'm more confident as a writer. And I think like my body needs to be in conversation with what comes through my mind. So dance is very therapeutic. Yeah. Mm. And what, what, what are some, even though you've created many spaces that fostered sweetness and wildness um sweetness for instance what are some ways that there were there were astonishing and powerful manifestations of sweetness um in some of the spaces you've created or even in your writing i did this one show um it was a um, performance installation experience experiment um called waters sweet red and the wild glitter transformation and we gave out kool-aid so that was really sweet. Um, and it was essentially a kind of choose your own adventure experience. Like you can go into one room mm -hmm. and it was, it was basically inspired by like my internal emo 
um, black girl, West Indian kid in the hood psyche. Um, and my sort of inherent queerness towards, you know, just loving the divine um, and the things that didn't belong or, you know, like there's this one room that was like all blue and had um, these blue fabric sheets with all of these poems that I wrote called Prayers for Pussies. Mm -hmm. Like I've been writing Prayers for Pussies for since 2015, all these different prayers. And I am going to be looking for a poetry deal. (laughs) So I'm looking for a poetry book deal in a moment. I mean, no rush people, but I have all of these poetries, including poetries, my um, prayers for pussies anyways. So they had all of these beautiful kind of like curtains that my friend Quinn had made for me with my poetry on it. And the room had like blue Christmas lights and it had um, the color purple projected on a wall and Felicia Perry who's like one of my favorite collaborators um invited people to um I forgot what she was inviting people to do basically to write a song write write an affirmation for themselves um another room was all red with red balloons and I think like had Sade playing and a lot of it was inspired by growing up in the 80s with my mom and her sisters who were like you know these young Trinidadian women and in Minneapolis, you know, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. them following my mother who had married my father, who, you know, wanted to be here. Um, yeah, he had lived in New York, between New York and he's um, from the Virgin Islands. But um, when him and my mom got married, they came to Minneapolis and I was the first person in our family born here. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, like this piece was just like, oh, like I just was wrestling with like the witchiness of my Trinidadian ancestry, you know, being born and raised on Dakota land, the ways that I really didn't like myself. I didn't think I was beautiful. I really just loathed myself from a young age, like just like my sense of being a black girl with all of this, you know, like, I think it's interesting, the idea of black girl magic, which now is become so obvious in understanding it's almost cliche black girl magic right like duh but like when i was growing up it was like black girl ain't in the um barbie cartoon black girl is nowhere you know black girl is disappeared um is ugly black girl is ugly black girl is nappy headed black girl is stupid black girl is all of these things that nobody would want to be but because black girl equaled these things, I didn't want to be black girl. So this piece was me kind of um, going deep into the spirit of being a five-year-old who rips up all of my kindergarten pictures because I just thought I was so ugly. And like my mom, like finding me and not whooping me, which, you know, mamas do whoop, particularly in the 80s, they whooped. <laughs> um, and But my mom was just like, Janata, you're beautiful. Like, But like, I just remember crying and saying I was ugly. So the piece actually began with me, with my cute like first day of kindergarten picture, just ripping up my picture at the beginning of the piece, you know? So anyways, like that was, um, you know, like the ways that I created art was like, gosh, how do I pull people into all of my feelings? <laughs> you know, like, um, which I think is so different than writing a book. Cause it's like, all right, I have to put all these feelings in words and people will go on them feelings on their own. But beforehand, I really was 
and I still am like, I'm, you know, working on a one woman show, like have started writing it. Even when I was working on this book, I was like working on it. Like, um, but just like, how do I continue to do this work of processing and like people I think of as like Whoopi Goldberg, like Whoopi Goldberg is such a like huge, you know, icon for my particular artistic lineage. Cause, mm. um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of her Broadway stand up. It's, mm. it's like tremendous. It's mm-hmm. so raw and beautiful. And, um, I totally love her shape-shifting ways of being, um, yeah, she's tremendous. Like, I think there's ways that um, as her career developed, you know, um, like I, some of that aspect of her that really I fell in love with, you know, wasn't as apparent. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful to be in this stage in my life where I'm going back to her early work. work. But like, kind of like Whoopi Goldberg, The Astor Gates, um, Sharon Bridgeforth, Lori Carlos, like mm. these were the artists that really were like, oh, like just pulling you into like all of these worlds and transformations. So... Yeah. yeah, I know that was a long way to answer oh. that, but you you done gave me the you done gave me yeah. the go oh, ahead. Yeah. You said girl, go in, go yeah. in. Diasa so. was here like last week. Right? Listen, I was not in. able to go. I was oh. like, listen, this is the thing when you busy grinding. Yeah, like I really was like I had these deadlines, and me and my wife, I'm newly married, hey, um, hey. went to Cameroon, and you know <laughs> that back. Wi-Fi was not there. I was like. Ooh, I'm planning a book tour. I've been kind of like busy because I was busy getting ready to get married. And now I got no Wi-Fi up in the Cameroon. Okie dokie. So let me surrender to the fact that I'm in Cameroon with my wife. Surrender all the way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it was like, I mean, I just think the ancestors like when I, because that's the thing, like I really do trust in like ancestors and my spiritual alignment and my guidance and the universe and i mean it comes through in the book there's a Mm -hmm. way that like when you are listening to truth and you have created a truth within yourself you don't need to get too far down none of these roads of chasing nothing Mm -hmm. you know and i was like you know what this book is a badass book Mm -hmm. this book is fire and i'm not tooting my own horn like I don't know why this book chose me why these characters chose me why these feelings chose me this melancholy sweetness that I think really is the reality of being an artist you are melancholy this is not a good time for the world Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying if it ever was but this time is like this is not a good time for the world and I'm talking about like what happened in the Bahamas and what's happened all over the world with these like environmental climate things changing the very shape of the planet for us not for the world and the other things like yeah for the other things but (laughs) other things gonna bounce back you know this may be it for us you know what i mean we might be the dinosaurs in the next museums you know what i'm saying but i do get just in love with loving the earth you know what i'm saying and i feel so grateful to get to go to Cameroon and be around like, oh my gosh, oh, people are so beautiful. And like before I met my wife, I'd never gotten to go to travel to Africa. <clears throat> so then, you know, like I fell in love with an African <laughs> and she's beautiful and she's from Cameroon and she takes me there and her mm-hmm. parents are like these beautiful like icons in Cameroon. Like you heard it here first. 
Goal <laughs> is like, you know, really from some tremendous, like sweet people who've done some tremendous work in like women's health in Cameroon. Like her father um, was an obstetrician and gynecologist who did a lot of stuff around women's health that was progressive, not just in Cameroon, but all over Africa, as well as her mom. Her mom, mm. if it weren't for sexism, her mom would probably be Dr. NASA and not just one Dr. NASA. There's mm -hmm. another Dr. Nassau in their family. Like, it's that kind of African family. But mm. her fa family were also, like, these tremendous, like, feminists, you know, like her father and her mother, you know. And um, I love getting to sit with these 80-year-old something retired, like, medical professionals who've lived in Nigeria when um, conflict broke out, lived in Rwanda when conflict broke out, and that can talk about their, con their countries and their continents with a sense of remembrance before the ways that col colonization has set in so deeply to this point where we don't understand that a lot of this stuff was abracadabra just a couple like generations mm. ago like this shit wasn't like so embedded in our existence you know some of these ways that people really think is african i.e homophobia i.e yeah. um patriarchy yeah. and sexism like there's a lot of ways that um, colonialism and um, uh, whatchamacallit, all of the ways that um, oppression via, I don't know, I guess colonialism, that's what you would call it, you know, imperialism, um, that these things haven't, like our grandmothers remember other shit. You know what I mean? Our mothers remember other things. And I think part of my work as an artist, and it comes through in the book, I'm telling you, get this book, boy. It's fine. All right, so we're going to keep teasing y'all for like two, I'm not even trying to We're going to keep teasing y'all with this book. Just hold on. We're going to tease you for two more minutes because I want to get to the other thing, that other sharp, beautiful weapon of wildness. And what are some ways that you can reminisce on or just one of, the, one of the things that stood out most in ways you've manifested wildness in some of the beautiful art spaces in your mind and in, in with community. I love this interview. I like these questions. Thank you. Um, well, I started, I think, my genuine artistry as a circus artist, which is funny because writing is so much more safer than circus, the kind of circus I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I will credit Kate Lee Kalnick, um, a tremendous black acrobat in Brooklyn who I met on the A train. <laughs> and she gave me her card and said, yo, this is what I do. And I think we were flirting with each other, but I was so like repressed in my queerness that I was just like, oh my God, I want to do circus. And I did want to do circus. And I also mm. appreciated getting to be with this you know, black woman who was also Caribbean, um, who was queer, who was just doing some really interesting experimental black art, as well as just experimental art in a lot of other spaces too. Like she, um, I think just knew no bounds. Like she did Shakespeare and she's like still teaching and doing dopeness in Brooklyn to this day. Mm -hmm. But she introduced me to the um, aerial form of the cordelise, which is the aerial, it's like a rope. And it's like a super, um, oh, here. Mm. I'll, 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 I'll um, record it back and say it. Oh, thank God, didn't break, boy. Because people already been told me I need a case. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Um, so she was doing some super um, experimental stuff, you know, with like Shakespeare and um, and just like doing all kinds of, I don't know, she just was a badass. She still is. Um, and she introduced me to the rope. That's what I was saying. So she introduced me to the cordelise, which is this aerial rope, which is kind of like a, it's a very, I would say, um, one, of, one of the more rougher of the aerial apparatuses. There's the silks, which is very you know, romantic and kind of sensuous and stuff like that, um, kind of just in texture. But mm. when you have a rope and you have a black body, you have like this swift algebra of like um, lynching, you know what I mean? And torture, which is such a embedded aspect of the imagination and fantasy of white supremacy on black bodies, right? So to take Ariel, which is such a kind of magical and whimsical form that pulls you into the sky with my black body in this rope. It just was like, wow, like so many stories emerged um, to bring us into the vertical space. Cause so much of the circus that I would see was very like, yeah, da, 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 la, la. you know what I mean? Kind of like that sort of vibe. <laughs> yeah. But then we had like, you know, this crew of like, it was um, Cape Lee Kalnick and Yalani Dream. Um, gosh, my other teacher, uh, Sego, Sego Marchand, who's, um, uh, Afro Franco Canadian, um, or French. I think she knows she's French, um, aerialist who's tremendous. Like all of these women just like doing some cool aerial stuff that was black and brown and queer, you know? Mm. And I was like vibing off of that in New York and had like just started training like a mad woman. All of a sudden, like I had a youth work job in Harlem and I mm -hmm. loved working with these kids. And then I would like take the train after work and go in Brooklyn and climb and, you know, do all these things. And then um, it was nice because it allowed me to just sort of get over myself, you know, as an artist. Because I was writing this whole time, but I never would share my writing. I never took it seriously. Um, so when I started, um, when I came back to Minneapolis, I had started wanting to write something that would be a circus show that featured all black women, um, that would be a play, you know, that I would write. And it ended up, um, being my first play and project that, um, Free Black Dirt did called There Are Other Worlds. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, it just so for me, I think wildness was part of like, all right, you know, how um, do we get to break the fantasy about ourselves while being in a fantasy with ourselves? You know, maybe that's very Prince in Minneapolis of me. Hey. But I feel like for me, like that is an aspect of the wildness. Like, I think so much of black, you know, sexuality, particularly femme sexuality, is very much a thing that needs to be in service of um black cis het male fantasy or um whatever kind of ways our desire should be kind of misread as a threat to existence like if we have sex and have children and it's like you know or or not or don't want to or have sex with other people that aren't het men you know like i think there's so much that um i think Ariel taught me about my sexuality, my power, my strength, my creativity. Um, so I feel like wildness comes in there. I think nature, like for me, I think black folks in nature. 
um, is always a theme in my work. Mm. Um, as a like gardener for mm-hmm. a lot of years, an urban farmer, and teaching that in New York and in Minneapolis, like I always love there to be environments where like Black people are like. We're not just seeing nature as a place to be murdered in white horror movies or as a place to be enslaved in white reality history. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, no, like we had like, I mean, that's what I love about talking to Gull's mother, for example, because she's, I think, oh gosh, I, I forget which region of Cameroon she's from, if it's whether it's coastal or grasslands. But anyway, her mom would talk about before they would cut down trees that they would talk to the trees and ask permission before like her mom remembers Mm. like a pre-christian and catholic you know spirituality both goals parents do so when i'm back there i'm always like you know i'm just in there and like sitting there they just trying to watch the news they just will watch news and drink red wine the daddy drink red wine not the mama um and i'd be like can y'all tell me some stories Mm -hmm. and they they're generous with it they're and her mom is like so freaking sharp yo oh yeah Sharp is the tiniest of texts. Mm. Well, the stars and the blackness between them. First things first, that title. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels maybe you were saying before, like this, all of this. No, you're not tooting your own horn. This book is the shit. And it's all it just the title alone. I mean, folks are. Folks, whether they're like avid readers or not and they know a little bit about who this work is coming from or just like the art but the title the stars and the blackness between them like how long did it take you and i'm guessing not long to land on that title yeah before we get into what's under the cover oh yeah so my um my editor because the book like i just never had a title for it initially at first the title was death sentence which is ridiculous, <laughs> but I just was a place. Sound like a Steven Seagal movie or something. I know it was so whatever. But I, I think for me, um, I was just writing these chapters, and then um, the title. I had another title for a while that I'm glad we didn't go with. Um, I won't even say it here, <laughs> um, but it just was like ended up being too much. Like another um, really amazing young adult book that did really well. Yeah. So I was like, dang, the funny thing is that there was, there's a book within this book that is titled the stars and the blackness between them. And my editor Mm -hmm. was like, Hey, Mm. why don't we just name the book? What the book inside the book is called. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. So the stars and the blackness between them inside of the book is a memoir. You're good. Oh, it's fine. People always roll up and are just like, Hey, um, so, um, yeah, there's a character in the book who's a man on death row, who's an astrologer and a spiritual kind of being who lives in prison. And um, he has written a book that came out in the 90s that one of the girls gets a hold of. Um, and it's called The Stars and the Blackness Between Them, a memoir. <laughs> So, yeah, I I love that that ended up being the title because <laughs> um, it is perfect. And I think it's such a um, it ends up offering so much inspiration. Like, I think um, even the cover 
um, the artists, you know, I feel like they're riffing off of this like expansiveness mm-hmm. and limitlessness that like I want to embed in these girls. Although, um, yeah, they come across some really significant challenges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this book is going to be out today, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be out on September 17th it's gotten pre-ordered and just go get it just go get a bunch of them um thank you so without giving too much away though like if you had to tell people you know what goes down mm-hmm. what do you want to throw at the people hmm. i love that question it's always different every time um but i would say it is grounded in a um, mabel and audrey Um, Audrey is a Trinidadian girl who gets sent to live with her American father, black American father. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, when she's discovered in a romantic relationship with her pastor's granddaughter. Um, so she gets sent up to the States and, um, you know, um, befriends this girl, Mabel, who's the daughter of, um, her dad's best friend. Um, and Mabel is a cute, you know, basketball playing, introvert, emo kid, Scorpio. Um, <laughs> Audrey's an Aquarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and they befriend each other and they start to kind of feel each other. And um, Mabel um, is feeling sicker, you know, kind of throughout the summer that they're getting to know each other and then gets diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, and at which point, you know, she goes into a reverie of like her life and who she is. Mm. And Audrey, who also has a very witchy kind of cosmic upbringing with her grandmother, starts to utilize every sort of tool in her pouch to try to save her friend. Ah. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. And, you know, you obviously the almost, almost, almost finished version, you were getting some preliminary feedback from people you love who've read it. Um, How was that response to the book? Have you, you know, what about that have you really appreciated and been excited about before the actual release? And you know, all of it is in support, but just that the most honest feedback and response you've gotten, how has that really cut through in an exciting way? Well, it's been nice to just have like, you know, my bestest of friends read this book and remote people from Instagram who I had no idea who they were, but my publisher got them a copy um, and they've read the book and just like would contact me and be like, yo, I love your book. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get like the group of girls in East Harlem that I work with (laughs) copies. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And, um, as well as, you know, my tightest homies who I didn't get to hang out with or talk to as much because I'm like, yo, I gotta be in the lab working and writing are just like so excited and tickled by these characters that are brought Mm -hmm. into the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, it's like in the mode of writing, it's so isolating, you know, and it's meant to be, it's like, I remember it's so wild and now I'm just putting it together. Hmm. Um, 
I kept on getting this tarot card, the hermit, the hermit, you know, like I do tarot. And I was like, the hermit. And I'm like such a like, my whole life I've always been a hot foot, as they would say in Caribbean, like, oh, your foot hot. Like always in the streets, always like, you mm -hmm. know, doing the most. Mm -hmm. But I kept on getting the hermit card and writing was the hermit. You know, like I had to just sort of isolate myself. So now that the book is done and like people are responding to it, it's exciting to be just get to experience the book all over again through people who didn't know them this whole time I've gotten to incubate these mm -hmm. characters. Um, Without the isolation this time around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like even my mentor, Alexis Duvall, who is just so central to this work, like I can't even let you know how, to what extent. Um, she <laughs> like just hit me up and was like, bitch. <laughs> like what like she was just so like shocked and wowed and like just and she's like such a tremendous writer and such an icon and she like blessed me with her guidance in this book and she loves my book and just like there's so many people so how's that feel that you're mentor oh, it feels like everything like i could just cry right now thinking about it it makes me so happy because she's a queer you know west indian descended you know black harlemite you know iconic genius writer and mm -hmm. um she has put a sort of sacredness around queerness for me and in her work in ways that um, has like purely, you know, paved the way and created safety for me to do so. So, wow. like, I'm grateful that, you know, without her, the book wouldn't have been what it was. And um, I thank her. I thank Aaron Sharkey for suggesting Aaron Sharkey. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> um, and who, partner in crime. And who did the cover art? Shout, mm. shout them out. Thank you. Um, let's see. Um, we have Charles Chazon on the cover art. And then, because I got to shout out my cover designer, Samira Iravani. Yeah. Who's the shit? Wow. Yeah. And and my editor, Andrew Carr, and my agent, Tina DeBoy. I don't know. I don't need to do all that. Uh, but you done asked me to shout out people. But all for those sure. people for sure. were instrumental to this book, indeed. Mm. And my mama, for whom none of this would be possible. In your childhood, when did when did creative sparks start to really clearly bloom for you? Hmm. I think it always I think artistry has to be taken from children rather than given to them, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I think for me it's like every child, like I'm raising one now, and you're like, oh, they just come out like wondering how anything has any meaning. So they're constantly seeking it and finding it through play yeah. is what we call it. I don't know, there's probably some sacred name for it, but that, I mean, play is a sacred name. Um, but like just though they're figuring it out, like, ooh, how does my energy and the energy all around me intersect with each other? And what does it mean? What does it do? How does it shape? Mm -hmm. So I think for me as a kid, like I've always loved like just being <laughs> just being in my feelings, mm -hmm. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I think I've always loved imagining and traveling through books. 
I love to climb trees. I love to run. I love to talk shit. Yes. I love to lie. I love <laughs> hey. to just, you know, do all kinds of things. Just to Y'all see. really think about what that means because <laughs> now it's not just saying that to, like, fuck with your mind. Like, it's deeper. So... You just rewind it. We're not going to go into that. But. Yeah, but I just love to see like, wow, like, and also love to see people lie because I would see people lie. Adults lie. I would see adults say things that they didn't understand, but they were told that was what you said. Um, I loved to like listen to the music my siblings was listening to. I used to like to try to dress like my older siblings. Like I come from a family where like... I'm my mom and dad's first, you know, child together, but they all had children before, you know, mm-hmm. us. And my dad has like 11 children, you know, mm-hmm. and five different baby mamas. Mm-hmm. So we were all just such like this graggle of children from the West Indies that were like, you know, raised all over, you know, this continent. But, peop- you know, my siblings would come. Some have lived here still. Some would visit, some would live with my dad for a while, would end up moving in with my mama, you know, like (laughs) there was always this sort of unconventional way that I lived in family and relationship. So Mm -hmm. I think um, for me, like, I just love stories. My dad's a great storyteller in both ways, beautiful and in other ways, problematic. But he tells stories, you know, and he was so charismatic and I love listening to him tell stories. And so much of my discipline came with stories. Um, And I think my mom, she's like funny. And my mom has like a certain um, theatricality that might be inherently Trinidadian to the way she tells a story, but it's usually comes in the form of gossip, you know, which is also a sacred Mm -hmm. art, you Mm -hmm. know, and um, social media. (laughs) Like gossip was the original social media, you know? And there was ways that, you know, she would talk about like, you know, telling she friends, telling she sisters, this thing happened and you know what? And then I show up and then I, and so I'm backing up and it's just like all of this, like, you know, basically writing, like, you know, when you write screenplays, like she's writing in not only the dialogue, but the actions of what happens in the stories. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? She's writing all out. Yeah. yeah. Hold on a second. I need to pee. Yeah. (laughs) I want to start answering that question. Until I couldn't know, Mom. Quick break, y'all. Be right back. Okay. Are you going to Felicia? Yep. Her, no, I just want to text her and let her know I got it. Her, her. What time you got her? Oh, um. Let's see. Um. Oh, shoot. You need a ride or anything? Yeah, yeah, that'd be lovely. All right. We're um, we going to. Let's see. We'll, we'll stretch it, but we'll get there. Everybody's wanting to send You gotta do stuff before you go over there? No, I just need to send these texts back. And I'll bring my things. All right, so yes. I I only have to be there. I'll be there by 1.30. If we're like, we have like, what, 20 more minutes? Sure. Okay, and then we can have a part two. You said what? 140, man. Yeah, I like it. All right, yes. um, Because she said she, um, yes, be there 15 minutes early. Uh, Oh, it shows at two? Yeah, be there 15 minutes early. We'll be at least exactly that. Okay, at one forty-five. <laughs> yeah, at okay. least. Let's be there for two minutes early, um, and I'll surprise you. Hey. I'll tell her that. 
See, she'll hate that. Why she'll love it. <laughs> okay, so uh, remember to pack my book because yeah. she needs to. Okay, I'll just sit with that on my lap. I'll put it right here. And we, um, uh, yeah, another another question I like to ask is, um, and I just realized like all these episodes, I never say that I'm doing air quotes, but how old were you when you realized you're not normal? Normal? Hmm. I don't know. I think I am normal. Yeah. Or no, I like that. It, <laughs> it, it can. I like that. I like it when it's a pushback because the normal, the word in the greater social sense is obviously white supremacy standards. But mm. you know what I mean. Like when did was there like a moment? Some people have a moment where a kid said something a certain way to them because they you might have been into this something that's considered nerdy or whatever you know yeah i think like i've certainly always been (laughs) sister outsider Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. and i continue to be that way yeah but i also feel like a lot of people repress that part of themselves you know so thus i become the target because i'm the one who's like incapable of it to some degree like if i could have like had my hair pressed in the way that all the girls had their hair pressed and had my outfits be cute and on brand i would have made that choice but Mm -hmm. like i could never be like that just wasn't my skill set you know my skill set was you know reading a lot of books running around you know being very like i had so much like imagination about like romanticism and like i was such an emo and romantic child you know um and i think that was very much like something in my book my book is very like these girls are very emo and romantic you know in Mm -hmm. ways that i think black girls didn't have that overlap in the world like i would have to read i would read vc andrews and ann rice and mm-hmm. um freaking you know babysitter's club of course like you know you know that kind of mainstream stuff but you know i was like totally turned out when i ran into rosa guy who was a caribbean writer um who did young adult work mm-hmm. in the 70s and she even has a book um ruby that has like a queer main character um Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, um and Tozake Shange. Like there was like a total tremendous renaissance of black feminist writing that was blossoming mm-hmm. um at that season. As well as like I was um reading Langston Hughes. Like I was like a huge Langston Hughes fan in high school. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, it wasn't until I was older that I, you know, got into like James Baldwin and um, Octavia Butler and um, Audre Lorde and June Jordan. Like, I feel like there's, mm. you know, so many people who I, Nikki Giovanni, oh, she was huge for me. Um, I loved how, like, powerful and um, accessible her poetry was. So I think for me, I've always strongly been into poetry. And I think like my favorite black feminist writers were hyper lyrical in their writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. How do you approach creating in these ways when, or how do you, how do you pre- approach creating in these two ways? For instance, when ancestors and inspirations spiritually or from your peers guide you, Versus when your brain and your very specific individual imaginations, personality starts firing away. 
So like the outside influences versus the. Hmm. I think like when I let other people kind of their feelings about my work shape my work. I don't always like, I feel like I used to interact with people who had a very, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, there's a way I want to approach this question. Um, Cause I do think I love being in relationship with other creators but I don't necessarily um, have people critiquing my work. And when I have friends, quote unquote friend artists who would critique my work, like in the most sort of like, um, kind of white supremacist way, even though it would be kind of couched in like black girl sisterhood nutness, <laughs> it was really like, oh, like I really want to kind of deduce and kind of like pull apart your work in ways that I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm just a witch and artistry is just how it works in this society. Like, I'm mm -hmm. not literally trying to get none of these people's approval, not these white folks. I'm just trying to do my rituals and include the people who feel in alignment with those rituals towards it. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And these come in a lot of different forms. Like, I don't know what it would have been called, you know, in other ancestral lands and other ancestral times. But I do know, like, so for me, if people are participating in my work, like, I like feedback, but I like the critical thing, like, is something that I realize, oh, like, that's not real, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And, and mind you, I'm a person that loves feedback and edits. Like, I'm a very, like, um, I don't know, just, um, what's the word? okay with it editor like yeah cut it down if it makes it stronger mm, but the mm -hmm. things that mean something to me i'll be like no i want this and mm. the people who work with me respect that yeah yeah um so for me as a creative i very much am like the more older i get and more confident i get i'm like i just want to make happen what i want to feel like i don't right. want to necessarily be like oh will will this sell or will people be okay with this i'm like no i want to make the art i want to make if someone want to do something else they can do that but what i'm gonna do is have all of these experiences like i'm gonna have all these astrology poems up in here i'm gonna have like you know, mm -hmm. a playlist and like have two black <laughs> girls on the cover holding hands. Like yeah. there's things that this is the work that I want to bring into the world. Other people can do something else. And I think that's what has marked me for myself into a maturity as an artist. Cause mm -hmm. I'm not chasing nobody or they feelings about my art. Like mm -hmm. I know why I'm here. I'm here to do it, you know, just like everybody else here to do them. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Um, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you hop on stage, and you do live readings and performance. How is uh, being in front of a live audience? How is that healing for you? I think it's just like you know, um, it's like witness and testifying. Like I think that's a part of existence and ritual. Is like you know, we come to the space to see the person do the ritual so that we all can be affected in the healing. And I think um, for me, I've appreciated performance to allow me to be brave in front of people and do dangerous and beautiful things in front of people. Um, I think it's allowed me to feel sexy in front of people in a way to kind of decolonize shame from being a sexual and sensual being. I think um, artistry um, 
Yeah, has been just, and, and performance has been very healing um, when I get to perform with others. Um, but I love um, uh, sharing my feelings in front of others. And I love the exchange of a live audience. Um, it's very alive, you know, like how many experiences besides a live performance, particularly the kind of things I would like to do when you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen next. It can be anything. And as a performer, it's the same thing. You know, like I could be telling lines, you could be saying lines, you could forget your lines, I could forget my lines. <laughs> we have to breathe on stage, mm -hmm. we're in front of everybody. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways that I've been in that scenario and you just have to make art. You have to be alive. And even with non like scripted work, it's just like performance is, oh my gosh, as a circus artist, you know how many shows I've had just my titties just end up like popping off the costume. <laughs> like that was like my trope, you know what I mean? It just would happen so often. Um, but it was just like, yeah, like I would always be last minute with my costumes. And it was always like, just cause I'm so focused on, this is my like, Way as an artist, I'm so focused on the like, the choreography, the things that, and I I don't always think about myself. Yeah. As a, so that's kind of what's shifting right now for me, because I call myself ragamuffin femme because <laughs> I super love beauty, but like I'm kind of a ragamuffin, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like I've really loved leaning into the aesthetic of being an author that's public with a national publishing company where I'm like international shoot um mm. where I'm like oh yeah hmm like I'm gonna be getting my picture taken even like you know my homegirl in Toronto and Jerry um who has a wonderful um bl uh, black book black speculative um what do they call it book cast or book blog on a podcast a video cast you know, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't know. And Jerry is beautiful. She's Trini and she's queer and she's a lawyer and she's like a total book nerd. Huh. And um, yeah, so she hit me up out the blue and I'm looking all like dried lip, like shea butter ain't never hit me. <laughs> and she calls me up and video chats and is like around this table of shimmery black Torontoans. Yeah. And she's like, girl, we're talking about your book. And this one woman is like, I'm reading your book now. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so ashy in the face. <laughs> you know? So I think for me, I've been like, oh, like this sort of outwardness that is about my, how I look is also shifting right now. So I think performance mm. is kind of like gets to be all of these things. Like, mm -hmm. I love... You know, like, I mean, I, I, I really love seeing people who just transform in these magical ways mm -hmm. in performance. So I think that's something I'm going to play with. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. What is flying to you? Hmm. I think it's always maybe represented like a liminal space a floating in between things, a suspension. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, it's also like transportation and transcendence. You know, like I think so much of flight has a specific um, like vocabulary within the black body, such as like, ugh, 
I got to say, Michael Jordan, Jordans, we all want flight on our feet, you know, and we all love seeing this man fly, you know, and mm -hmm. you know how they have that book, um, The People Who Could Fly or whatever about like the African folks who, um, you know, escaped slavery through flight. Mm. Um, I think there's the Sankofa bird and like, you know, flying forward, but always looking back. Like, I think that's in some ways the the talisman of like black artistry is like the sankofaness is like we're so black that we always got to look back at the black <laughs> you know and i think that's part of flight you know like flight for us is this ability to be like move forward and move back and be syncopated and be jazz and be hip-hop and like be hip-hop that's always taken from jazz and bringing it back so I think flight for me is like, okay, like how are we not only flying, but flying in these ways that like are just hurricane-like and movement and shifting and changing. Against all odds and, um, and when it seems like everything in this world is falling apart, which it kind of is, what is something that just remains beautiful? Something that's always beautiful, that's still beautiful? Hmm. In your mind, in your heart. I guess my mama's laugh. Your mama's laugh. <laughs> yeah, I just think, um, oh gosh. She just has the most like wild and loud and reckless laugh. It's just like, <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're watching something funny and she's laughing, you distract her from the funny thing to laugh at her laugh because it's wow. so. So I think I always, her joy always meant a lot to me. So I always love her laugh. I think nature and my bike, oh, my bike always makes me feel like, man, I don't give a fuck. I got a bike. <laughs> <laughs> you, as an, you know, as an artist, having a supportive and understanding partner, what is, how does that help you through these longer processes of create creativity? Um, I think my partner really helps me take care of myself. Um, I think that it's easy, the kind of person I am to just like exhaust myself and give, give, give and drown myself out and like totally center people over myself. But once I started seeing my wife, like she just really forced me to be like, all right, you know, you got to focus on yourself. You got to take care of you, which I think is going to make it so that I live longer and that I get to actually make more money off of my work because mm -hmm. when her and I started seeing each other, she was just like, I don't know. No, you got to charge more. No, what you're doing that for free. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause also too, it's taking time away from my time with myself, my time to create and my time with my family, my time with her. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think, you know, there's ways that I also have friends, you know, um, who really support my wellness, my like, you know, like these are my homies who I talk to who really, um, You're good. you know, help me take care of myself. I got a lot of friends who help me take care of myself, you know, so I think that even, my wife is just like in my house with me and, you know, my world in a way that I'm like able to 
actively be supported in a very singular way but Mm -hmm. i also man friendships like your real real friends real people who really want to see you win who really want to see you survive like that is so valuable and i really try to do that for people who are in my circle in that way you know so i'm I'm grateful reminders for survival and and what reminders do you have to give yourself when the going gets tough just I'm always talking to my ancestors you know like I'm always talking to my ancestors and I think there's so much that they've navigated so that I could even exist to be some you know black girl magic and on Dakota land you know so far away from any places they were born mm-hmm. like I was in Trinidad last year and I just gave thanks to my ancestors who left and never came back. You know, some left Trinidad and died in a whole other land that they didn't know nothing about when they left Trinidad. And mm-hmm. I feel like here I come back and I'm just like this girl researching a book about Trinidad and I'm wanting to write a book for kids about it. And I'm like, wow, y'all, I came back, you know, in some form I came back. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, when it's so rough, like, I'm just like, yo, ancestors, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so afraid. Like, I tell them what I really think. I tell them what I'm really feeling, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not here alone. You know, mm-hmm. like, I really am. We're all here together. And I think, and this is talked about in experience in the book, like, just because people die, just because things shift, just because things change, just because we're separated, like, oh, there's just this way that we're just so magically collapsed in and amongst each other. So, you know, like, that's what I rely on myself. Like, I meditate with myself and my fear and my truth. And I also just am like, yo, I just, I just kind of feel like we gonna win. Like, I just am optimistic too. I just kind of feel like at the end of the day when it's rough and rough, yeah. Um, I just still think we're going to win. So how, how do you balance, um, you say, in terms of when you're scared, how are you, how do you tend to balance cynicism and hope? Um, I feel like I just let it motivate me. You mm-hmm. know, it's like <clears throat> if people is motivated by greed and like, you know, taking money away from people and disenfranchising people so they can be on yachts. I could be motivated by my ancestors and by my future and just like my love for like, man, I've experienced such beautiful things in this existence. And like, I wanna save that for people. I wanna give it to people. I don't think only if you was lucky and your parents was rich and you know, you have whatever kind of privileges should you get to live a beautiful life, you know, and otherwise you should wake up and be grateful you got a job at McDonald's to go barely pay for whatever little expensive rent you got and some ragged. Heck no. Nah. And certainly not no 40 hours in nobody's week mm-hmm. for a lifetime. So they could just, you know, nah. like for me, I'm like I said, I'm a reparationist. I'm a liberation, mm-hmm. revolutionary, cosmic, bag lady, all of the things. Like, mm-hmm. I really want this to change. Yeah. So I think for me, um, yeah, certainly that's my motivation. You know, like, that really mm-hmm. is my motivation is that so people could, like, eat mangoes in the middle of the day, that they could have solar-powered things so that they don't have to dig up in the earth, that they don't have to show up at nobody's job, that they could have organic food, that they don't have to 
eat the food full of chemicals and think mm-hmm. that that's good and they don't gotta, you know, and if they do, then that's good and that's okay. I just think like I want people to be free in every way that they need to be free for themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. What are you tired of hearing? Um, I'm tired of hearing people who, um, yeah, who want to make apologies for people who are racist and white supremacist. And um, I'm tired of hearing people who lie about what's really happening in this world with the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tired of hearing people, um, you know, fixate on folks of color like we're the problem rather than looking back at our history and seeing how we're truly, you know, have been historically um, to some degree impacted, I mean, um, by things that were intended to obliterate us. Um, I'm tired of hearing... Oh, I'm tired of hearing people be like, oh, are you queer because your daddy was, you know, not a good person? Or are you queer because, what? you know, um, you, you get know, that question more than once. Oh, yeah. Or just like thinking that people are queer because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of some trauma rather than just wow. being who we are. Wow. I mean, I'm tired of, you know, people thinking that the only way to be a strong, dynamic black person is to be heterosexual. Um, and I'm tired of, um, yeah, people bringing their insecurity to me because I'm living free. <laughs> so what do you love hearing, other than your mother's laugh, what do you love hearing today? Um, I love hearing, I mean, in the other direction, my like little bonus child, she, she just, it's so funny, (laughs) man. I love, um, just hearing her insights about us and the world. And it's so wise and so pure at the same time. Um, I love hearing Megan the Stallion. I love, um, the ways that she's helping me rethink how I read sexuality and black feminine pleasure black femme pleasure mm-hmm. um yeah. i think there's a lot and, and black femme power you know like i think there's a lot of ways that um she really sort of articulates in action and in words um what is it to sort of contend um with the ways that we as black women are taught to contort and be small Mm. Um, and it feels very much in alignment with Sadia Hartman and her work with Wayward Lives Beautiful Experiments which is a wonderful book and Mm. just the ways that like you know black wildness black sweetness black femme wildness and sweetness like I think um, these are spaces that um, yeah these are spaces that I feel so indulgent and excited to be exploring right now in my life and seeing the ways that it comes through in my work as an artist. Like, I think these things have always been, you know, integral at the same time. Yeah, yeah. What do you want the listeners to know? Oh, I want them to know their astrology arrangement. I want them to know their birth chart. <laughs> um, and when it is possible. Um, if not, if you don't know what time of day or when you were born, you know, just go to somebody who is some sort sort of spiritual reader, 
you know, to experience. Whether, yeah, to just be in conversation with your spiritual alignment and kind of cosmic alignment that don't got to do with like, oh, you know, well, you are a, a person that, you know, just like whatever category, like having somebody being in spiritual conversation with your purpose is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like them to know um, how important it is to drink water and take care of your health. Um, I'm listening. No matter what. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself and your body. Um, how important it is to be committed to liberation struggles, mm-hmm. um, whatever way that looks like, you know, and to continuously educate yourself. Read um, Angela Davis, you know. Um, read, you know, I don't know. There's so many people to read. I don't even want to tell you who to read, but be read and don't read nothing that like validates somebody's oppression, no matter what it is. Like, yeah, if it's yeah, transphobic, yeah. if it's homophobic, if it's ableist, if it's fatphobic, like, you know, always think about how can more of us be included? How could more of us be seen? Um, and not, you know, ever if it results in anybody's yeah. harm. I think for people, people need to know about reparations and how so much of what's happening in this like globe around climate, around, um, you know, famine and death and, you know, all of these like climate disasters that are impacting communities that often have already been colonized, like, you know, the Amazon, um, what's happening with the fires there. And I mean, these are spaces that because it's not in the U.S., um, I think people, I don't know, like, I think it feels distant, but we're all one body, you know? Mm -hmm. So just kind of understanding the holistic journey of what's happening on this planet. Like, I think, um, I also want people to know how to cook for themselves, like know how to cook some, you know what I'm saying? Like something that really nourishes your body. You know no. who she's talking like <laughs> I mean she's not just talking to everybody, but she said, No to cook something. Like for real, we gotta we gotta live mm-hmm. as long as we can. Yeah. I think like yeah. there's so much and part of that is because we've been taught like the kitchen has been decolonized from us in certain ways too, because we're trying to you know, we're so busy, we're so distracted. And I think, you know, I don't always have time to cook. I'm actually having my mama cook for me right now, which is just like so indulgent. But I'm like, mama, I will pay you to cook for me. Oh, I am in dire straits in terms of referring myself in the space, the place I do live where I live alone. When my four-year-old has been there a couple of times recently, she just, you know, I'm hungry. She just goes in my fridge and she's like, dad, you need to get some food. Mm-hmm. She's like, let's go to Trader Joe's like, ahora. But she's that simple. She's basically saying, you you, you need to do better. That's oh, her yeah. way of saying it. Not just I'm hungry. Listen, you know go, to, I mean? go to Trader like, Joe's. <laughs> just go to Trader Joe's. And man, like I, yeah, that's been, that helps me. And also like, you know, just the making the time. I think it's also fun. Like I have a little one who's five. 
And me and her be cooking and she be like, she be making it master chef in my own damn kitchen. She be like, I want some green pancakes. I want some, Ooh. no, she, she don't say green pancakes. I want some Grinch pancakes. And I'm yeah. like, what's some Grinch pancakes? All right, shoot. Let me throw the kale in the blender. Yeah, I'll yeah. put some, we'll make some, you know, green pancakes yeah. and put it in a little shape with the little head and the little oh, boop wow. yeah, with the hair. Fun. This is, this is where my artistry is played out in the household. It's just like Grinch pancakes, but I'm for it. All She's right. keeping me on my toes. That's cool. <laughs> is, is there any art? that you're currently taking in that's recharging you and giving you life? Ooh, I love that question. Hmm. Well, I just finished reading Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, which I've read before. Um, but it's always interesting to read books as you get older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that... Hmm, what art am I taking in? Oh, I mean, this is kind of random, but it's like I literally just got off of writing my book, so a lot of... What I'm taking in is like, I mean, Megan the Stallion mm-hmm. um, is some art I'm taking in. And just like getting excited about like black feminist kind of like raunchy MCs and kind of the space that they create around, you know, liberated black feminine sexuality, which is so colonized within the rap space. Yeah. But a lot of the creativity is coming out more in that style because they have a little more access and freedom. Mm. So you're like, because I hear like when I listen to the Megan album. Yeah, I like definitely went back to a time when I was young where I was hearing when you know, when Trina started to come up and some other folks was like doing it, but we're a different age now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like, but th- it's just so much better now because for certain reasons, because mm-hmm. of production value, because of social media, where you can really like look across the room or look across the internet and be like, oh, they really feeling this song and this lyric just like me. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to be like at a space of like, oh, this is the, like the legacy of Missy Elliott and like, yeah. I mean, who's still making wonderful music. Yeah. Um, but you're like, wow, this is amazing to get to Lizzo, obviously. Yeah. Um, people who are just doing different things, boldly, even more boldly than what I experienced growing up, and it's been really inspiring. Um, I watched um, if Beale Street could talk finally, which was out for a while but i was flying to cameroon via belgium so i had all this time i loved it i loved it and it's also because right now i'm you know gonna start sending out my book to have people consider for adaptation and i really wanted to be beautiful oh my god and that one was yeah all of it i know totally um i watched um whatchamacallit Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, which were also out, you know, mm-hmm. like the biopics on mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury and Elton John. So, because I also like have ideas brewing around a musical um, that I want to do, kind of like historical fiction or like um, kind of like a Dream Girls esque thing. Oh, yeah, we but... didn't tell everybody you're a filmmaker, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. That's you dope. know, you know how I do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think like you know, I love. I just love music and how that plays within film, particularly. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, beautiful. Um, can you just let folks know where they can find you on social media? You can find me at Janata J U N A U D A. I think it's at Janata everywhere, um, and my last name is P E T R U S. 
N-A-S-A-H, Petrus Nassau. And, but yeah, my, I'm out in these streets. You Google me, you're going to find me. There ain't nobody <laughs> like me. I've Googled my name several times and I'm the only thing that shows up. So yeah. get at me. Get at the Googs. Uh, thank you so much, Janata. It's been a pleasure. I'm oh. glad it's, I'm glad we have arrived at this and I'm, so excited for the book, the stars and the blackness between them. Yes. Get a bunch of copies right now and re-up during Thanksgiving, even though it ain't about gift giving. But every holiday is a reason to give a gift to someone you love because that might bring you closer to someone you love. That's just yeah. how it goes sometimes. And then re-up again around Christmas time. Just buy a shitload of the stars and the blackness between them because... It's worth it. It's worth spreading that love. That's what you're doing. You're not just giving a book. You're spreading love. So thank you, Janata. Mm, thank you so much. And thank you for your patience and persistence and including me in this space because I love this conversation and this was a lovely interview. And thank you for holding this space for artists and activists. It's, I mean, these spaces are very important to help us process and just like share who we are. So thank you. Beautiful, my pleasure, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Janata. You know, it is, we're just so blessed to have someone, uh, such a great leader in community and a wonderful artist in community for folks to be inspired by, look up to, for the youth to look up to. Um, our idols, if we do choose to have idols, do not have to be the mega rich, the mega millionaires, the celebrity, the super celebrities, you know, because, you know, we're, that's so distanced from us. It's so distant, distant from us for a reason also is because the, the truth is more distant. When, when you have folks in your community from here to Minneapolis to New York to North Carolina, um, you know, to Russia, to India, but you're connected in these more palpable ways of um, organizing art in a way that organizes people um, to have like bigger conversations about our truths. That's the way to really get get to and stick to the truth. I mean, if we focus on these idols and these celebrities, and you know, we're gonna get let down more often than not. I mean. A lot of the people we like was was rocking with Epstein, you know, and I'm not just talking about politicians. I'm not just talking about the English monarchy. I'm talking about artists, too. Um, so that's disgusting. And we have all this beauty right here around us. We just got to seek it out a little more and, and the, you know, really appreciate the beauty of the process of creating something, whether it's writing or making music, because, I mean, Janata never wrote a book before and her first book is is just amazing you know it's like not too many rappers not too many artists painters even like you know Nas maybe did it not too many hip-hop artists have done it like where their first album was just like whoo well that's what you have with the stars and the blackness between them and it was a process like she went into it not really knowing how to write a full-fledged novel but embrace that unknown. Because embracing that unknown, you open yourself up more. You open yourself up by saying, I know nothing or I don't know. You open yourself up more to everything. And then you get to the other side and you have things like Janata's book, the way she worked through that and put in hard work, very, very hard work. 
and it's going to yield so much more, so much fruit and healing and abundance and beauty that, uh, for, so, for, for forever <laughs> to the end of time. And we're lucky. So I uh, appreciate Janata coming on the show. And we've got a lot more great episodes in the future because this is what we do in terms of we want to try to bring you deeper conversations, um, conversations that really breathe. That's always our hope. That's always our goal. And um, if you uh, want to get in touch, you can always email us. You can always email us at weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. That's weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Please do that. We really appreciate that. This is a special menu production, as always. The theme music, as always, is by Renee Copeland. And uh, yeah, we'll be back for more. I hope you'll be back for more. Keep telling your people, keep spreading the word and sharing the love of what what this podcast is and represents. And um, I will see y'all soon. Peace.